All right. So let me open some word of prayer. We'll jump in. Lord, thanks for today. And Lord, you know our request that we lay before you. And so uh, we uh, think about the surgeries in Lois and uh, the folks going on the trip. And Lord, so many unspoken um, prayer requests, um, but you know them. You know what we need to pray and should pray even before we do. And so, Lord, we commit all this to you. And we thank you for a time to come together uh, to study your word. And uh, so, Lord, uh, give us understanding is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Deuteronomy. Um, so, um, the way stories work, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm realizing more and more that I'm getting paid at the seminary to state the obvious, right? <laughs> Which is really a pretty good job because there's an endless supply of things that are obvious. Um, that when, when you're in a story, every event in the story changes the story. Does that make sense? There's no going back, okay? Uh, there's no going back earlier in the story. Every part of the story continues along. Uh, and so it is with the law, right? Yeah, it was with life too. Yeah, there's no going back in life. Yeah. Once you're old, it's over. <laughs> I'm trying to go back. Uh, there's there's no going back in life. Yeah. We used to be members at this gym called Lifetime that reminds me in. And they did this thing where they would test your flexibility and, and the, your strength. And they say, oh, you have the body of a whatever year old, right? And I don't remember what time I was, but this was I was in some semblance of shape. And said, oh, you have the body of a 24-year-old. And I think, I told the guy, I've been 24, and this ain't it. <laughs> You're a liar. <laughs> there is no going back. We can just preserve for as long as we can, right? Try to hold on, but it's a lost cause. But anyway, um, and so, so what we call in, in the Old Testament studies, every book after the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, we call part of the Deuteronomic history. Right? Just a fancy way of saying Everything after the book, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, is the Deuteronomic history. In other words, every part of the story is, is to be and can only be understood in light of the, the law, right? And so the storyteller assumes that you've read the, the story. You've read that part of the story, which is the law, okay? Um, one of the things we do, here's an assignment that we have our students uh, in our class where we study Deuteronomy do, uh, is we list a bunch of, uh, of passages where the, the law, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, affects things later in the story, okay? And if you didn't know Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 24, you wouldn't make any sense of Ruth, right? Uh, but look at the ones on the right. So there's, there's Judges, Ruth, actually it starts with Joshua, right? So Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, first and second Samuel, Kings, uh, Chronicles, all the law, every, uh, every prophet is a covenant enforcer. And so they're just repeating the law. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, the epistles, all the epistles. And, and these are just a spattering of, of places. Uh, where the law, of, uh, you know, directly affects the interpretation. Does that make sense? Um, I, I can, yeah, I can send this uh, out um, to you. Um, there's some really interesting ones that um, take, uh, let's, uh, what's a good one? What's a story we know? Here's one we know. So 1 Samuel 17, that's David and Goliath, right? Um, turn to uh, so let's let's turn to First Samuel seventeen. Let's do uh, uh, let's talk about David and Goliath. That'd be a, a good one. Um, so one of the, so one of the ways that we that I teach uh, um, sometimes I go through the book of Deuteronomy, and that's helpful. Sometimes I just teach from the book of Deuteronomy. In other words, uh, how does this story uh, interpret? How does Deuteronomy help you understand later stories, right? Uh, so let's, let's look at uh, 
Does everybody know the story of David and Goliath? How many times have you heard that story in your life, right? Um, yeah, a few times, right? So let's, uh, let's look at First uh, Samuel. First Samuel 17. Um, okay, now let's remember uh, what we were saying is every part of the story moves the story along and there's no going back. Okay, so, so what's going on in First Samuel? Somebody help me out. What's going on in the story of First Samuel? Saul's, yeah, Saul's the king. Yep. Um, Israel has taken the land. So Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. So Moses preaches this sermon to Israel right before they take the land. And this taking the land is in the book of Joshua. Yeah, Joshua, they take the land. Um, and then in the book of Judges, they say, well, you didn't do a very good job. <laughs> every, single, um, every single tribe failed to do their part in taking the land. And so... Um, so the judges are introduced, uh, and uh, back in Deuteronomy. Uh, so before we get there to, to Samuel, let me take you to a couple spots. Uh, turn over to, to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18. Okay, Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. Starting there and going through chapter 17 and through chapter 18, the offices uh, that are to, to rule or lead Israel are spelled out. Starts with the judges, um, and then the priest, and then the king, chapter 17, 1 through 14, and then the prophet, chapter 18, right? So you have judges, priests, kings, and prophets. And what the Deuteronomic history is going to do, judges, uh, Samuel, kings, and then the prophets are going to are going to enumerate or walk through the failure of the judges to do what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord, then the failure of the priests to do what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord, and then the failure of the kings. Every uh, king did what was good in his own eyes and caused Israel to sin, and then the failure of the prophets, right? And so um, you're watching the leaders fail. Does that make sense? Um, and so there's instruction on, on what these judges and priests and kings and prophets are to do, okay? Um, um, does that make sense? So that's Deuteronomy 16, uh, 18, verse 18, through chapter, end of chapter 18. Okay. Uh, and the story is looking for this ultimate judge and priest and king and prophet. Right? And so this one that's going to come onto the scene is going to do it all. Where these all fail, this one comes and doesn't fail. And so in that sense, they are types of Christ. In other words, they occupy the position partially and imperfectly until the full comes, till Christ comes, who will do it perfectly and completely. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So chapter 17, in chapter 17, Israel is told, this is a word for the king, uh, 17 really it focuses in on 14 through 20, 17, 14 through 20. Let me catch up with you. Uh, uh, this is the instruction for the king, uh, that when they get into the land and they choose a king, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations who are around me. Um, was Israel to be like all the other nations? No, why not? Because they were to be a kingdom of priests, say, Holy nation, be holy as I am holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. Set apart from what? The other nations. You, you serve a God that's different than the other gods, and you're to be a nation different than the other nations. You're set apart, right? Um, but they're going to want a God, like or want a king like the nations around them. They're going to ask for a king. The word to, uh, to ask in Hebrew is Saul. We're going to Saul for a king. God's going to give them Saul to be their king. Going to give them what they ask for. Uh, and they want a king to do what? Do you remember? To fight our battles for us. Right? So they request a king to fight their battles for them like the kings of the nations. And so um, 
So Israel has taken the land, the judges have failed, the priests have failed, uh, and now Israel has asked for a king in 1 Samuel, and God has given them what they asked for, Saul. And the Philistines show up. And they say, choose one man from among yourselves to fight your battle for you. Now, who is that supposed to be? Saul, right? But here's the problem. In chapter 16, because of Saul's rebellion against the Lord, the Lord had removed his anointing and anointed David. So now what's going to happen? <laughs> if Saul goes out there, he's going to die. And he knows it, right? I ain't going out there, right? And so in walks David, right? Now, who's David? Well, we were introduced to David previously in the story. How were we introduced to David previously in the story? Well, David's from the tribe of Judah, from the house of Jesse. Obed, Jesse, David. And the genealogy, all the way back in, in Genesis chapter 28, that, uh, where Perez was born. So we had tracked the promise of Messiah from, uh, through the flood to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, and now through the line of Perez. Ruth chapter 4 picks up that genealogy with Perez all the way down to Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Right? And so now you've tracked the promise to King David. So he walks on the scene, and he's the one you're watching. Right? He's from the right tribe. He walks onto the scene, uh, and, uh, and this is the one that we're watching. Okay, so, so now back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Sokah and Azekah in the office Damin. Uh, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the Valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on one side of the mountain while Israel stood on the other side with a valley between them. And then the champion came out from the armies of the Philistines, whose name was Goliath from Gath, whose height was the span uh, of six cubits. Uh, his height was six cubits in a span. Uh, how long is a cubit? Does anybody know? Uh, that's the total. Well, what's a cubit? It's about from here to here. That's a cubit. If you're little, you got smaller cubits. <laughs> but that's how they measured it. Uh, it's about 18 inches, right? Uh, about 18 inches. Um, but they didn't know inches. They didn't have inches or meters back then, so they used uh, a cubit. And he had a bronze helmet on his head. And he was clothed with scaled armor. Do you see that scaled armor? Okay, let me uh, go down here and show you this in verse, verse 5. Okay. Now, um, this is where I was talking to uh, one of the students. I'm trying to remember which, what, what is today? Uh, I was talking to somebody recently. I don't remember when. Um, they were asking, how much does knowing the languages help? I said, well, it helps tremendously. Here's the thing, is that we think you've got to have a PhD to know Greek or Hebrew. But back then, everybody spoke Hebrew or everybody spoke Greek. So it wasn't a big deal, right? Uh, but... But it's hard to communicate um, all of the, the, the intricacies of the translation um, when you start to translate, change languages. Okay? But do you see that says scaled armor? Do you see that? Scaled armor. Um, now let's go all the way back to the beginning of the story, right? Back to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and uh, the Nakash, the serpent, Nakash, deceives the woman. Uh, and then the, the Lord says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman talking to the Nakash and between your seed and her seed. He will strike you on the head. You will strike him on the heel. All right. Now, how do you kill a snake? You whack him in the head. Right. How does the snake strike the human on the heel? Right. Well, here's the word. So Nakash is the word for snake or serpent. Right, the the armor is uh, it's called, it's kashkash, kashkash uh, from the root nakash. So, what kind of scales is the armor? 
not fish scales. It's snake scales. It's snake scales, right? Um, Nakashit from Nakash, the root Nakash, is bronze, right? So here is this one uh, who walks onto the scene from head to toe, covered in bronze, covered in Nakash, with scaled armor. And now, <laughs> introducing, playing for Team Satan, Goliath! <laughs> this, is, this is what the story's doing, right? And uh, on the side of the woman, on the side of the promise, David, right? And David walks onto the scene, right? And how does David kill Goliath? To the stone to the head, right? Now, is this the ultimate? No, this isn't the ultimate story, but this is, uh, this is what's going on, okay? Uh, Nakashit. Nakashit. Um, yeah, so... Um, Nakash is a serpent, Nakashit. Um, best I can tell from looking at the, you know, ancient or Eastern stuff, which isn't of any interest to you, barely of interest to me, is that uh, you see a snake in the sun and it's got this bronze tint to it. They all do. Doesn't matter what color they are, you see it in the sun, there's a bronze tint to it. Um, and, uh, and so here is... Uh, uh, Nakashit. The champion came out for the armies of the Philistines named Goliath, whose uh, height was nine foot nine, and he had a Nakashit helmet on his head, scaled armor, uh, uh, which weighed 5,000 shekels of Nakashit. And Nakashit uh, greaves on his legs, and uh, Nakashit javelin between his shoulders, and, and it just goes on and on. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said, uh, Why do you come out to me? Um, in, uh, and dr to draw up in battle array. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Right? Isn't that interesting? He calls them servants of Saul rather than servants of the Lord. You're going to hear a difference here in a minute. Choose one man from among yourself and let him come down. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will become our servants and you will serve us. And again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul of all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and were greatly afraid. Okay, let's stop there. Turn back to, uh, to Leviticus. Right? So this isn't Deuteronomy, but there's two parallel passages, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. Okay. Now, um, this is blessings and curses. If Israel, take, if Israel is obedient to the Lord, they walk by faith, then they will be blessed in the land. But if they're disobedient, they will be cursed in the land. So uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verses 1 through 13, is Israel's blessing in the land if they're obedient to the Lord, if they walk by faith. 14 through 46 are the curses if uh, they do not walk faithfully uh, according to the word of the Lord. Okay? Pick it up in um, verse 6, Leviticus 26, verse 6. So I shall grant you peace in the land, so that you may lie down with no one to make you tremble. And I shall eliminate the harmful beasts from the land, and no sword shall pass through the land. Now, um, the story is going to tell us that they were laying in their tents in fear, <clears throat> laying down, fearing. This says, you will lay down with no one to make you fear. Um, we're going to talk about the wild beast. David's going to say, I've killed the lion and the bear. Why does he say that? Do you remember this? I've killed the lion and the bear. Why, does that, why is that relevant? Yeah, because he's experienced this reality of Leviticus chapter 26. And there shall be no sword to pass through your land. Well, you're going to watch in the book of Samuel, verse in 2 Samuel, Goliath's sword passing through the land, all right? Okay. Verse 7, but you shall chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Now this is interesting because um, what, what the, the narrator is doing, he's setting up David as team Jesus, so to speak, the woman, and Goliath as team Satan. And in that Genesis chapter 3 exchange, um, the serpent dies by the blow to the head, but here um, the enemy will fall by the sword. 
Does that make sense? In the story, it's hard to tell if the blow to the head killed him or if when he cut off his head killed him. Right? Both are being put together. Five of you will chase 100, and 100 you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. By the end of this story, this is what's going to happen. Right? Is this making sense? A couple things. First, um, I hear this story taught all the time where if you just believe, then you can go fight Goliath. Well, I got news for you. That's not going to go well. Okay. Uh, it wouldn't have gone well for any of the people in the tents. It would not have gone well for Saul. Uh, there's only one who's going to fight your battle for you, and it's the Lord's anointed, of which you are not. <laughs> okay. Does that make sense? So uh, the story is waiting for the Lord's anointed to walk onto the scene and fight the battle. And it's Saul, it's supposed to be Saul. He was chosen for that purpose, but in the previous chapter, his anointing has been removed, and so in walks David into the story. Tracking? Okay. All right, now, um, let's pick the story back up. Um, uh, verse 12, 1 Samuel 17, verse 12. Now, David was the son of uh, Aphrath, uh, son of uh, Aphrath of a Bethlehemite in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old uh, in the days of Saul, advanced in uh, years among men. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to battle, and the names of them were Eliab, and firstborn, and Abinadad the second, and Shammah the third, and David was the youngest. And now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's flock in Bethlehem. Now, Several things are going on here. Remember, the story informs you all the way along. Any older and younger discussions in this story before this? Yeah, a whole bunch of them. The older will serve the younger. Jacob and Esau, um, uh, Ishmael, uh, Isaac, you know, all the way through here, this story is looking for the firstborn, the oldest, and the oldest are never the one that walks onto the scene and is the promised one, right? And here it is here, right? Um, David's a shepherd. The story is looking for a shepherd. Remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 49, verse 24, talking about uh, this tribe uh, of, uh, of Joseph. Um, their, arm, their hand will be strengthened in battle uh, by the mighty one of Israel, the, 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 God, the God of Israel, from whom there is a shepherd, the rock or the stone of Israel, right? And so here is this one that walks onto the scene who is a shepherd who strikes the serpent with a stone to the head, and he dies. You know what I mean? This imagery is really thick. It's really thick, right? Everything in this story is informing you on what, uh, what you're supposed to be looking for, okay? You're looking for a shepherd. Check. You're looking for one from the tribe of Judah. Check. He's not the firstborn. You're going, okay. We're going to watch him, right? Do you remember when David, or when Samuel went to anoint David? Where did he start? Uh, the, why did he start with the firstborn? Um, why wouldn't he start with the firstborn? Of course he would start with the firstborn. And he goes all the way down to David. Uh, and so the, now the story is watching David, right? So he's checking a lot of the boxes, but he's not checking all of them. Okay? And the Philistine came forth evening and morning for 40 days. 40 days, huh. And took a stand. And Jesse said to uh, David, his son, Take now to your brothers an ephah from this roasted grain and ten loaves and run it to the camp of your brothers. Uh, bring the, also, also these ten, ten cuts of cheese to the commander of uh, the thousand uh, to look after the welfare of your brothers and bring back news. For Saul uh, and they all, uh, they all, and all the men of Israel are in the valley of ephah fighting against the Philistines. So uh, now let's stop there. What's happened previously in this story with the Philistines? Well, Earlier in the story, this is uh, back uh, uh, with um, uh, back with um, Samuel uh, that that Israel had gone to battle before with the Philistines. Right? Um, this is back in chapter seven. Okay, uh, Israel says, "Well, we need to go into battle against the Philistines, so let's take the Lord, take the ark with us, and that'll guarantee our victory." So they go to battle, uh, and they get. Their clock cleaned, okay? Um, 
Now, this reality, um, is the Lord for us or is the Lord against us? That goes back to Joshua chapter 5, right when, um, uh, when Michael, the great prince who stands guard, Michael comes on, Michael appears to Joshua, and Joshua asks, are you for us or against us? You remember the Lord's response? Neither. You know, Michael's neither. I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. See, that's the wrong question. The question is not, am I for or against you? The question is, are you for or against the Lord? Right? And so at this point in the story, Israel is not acting faithfully to the Lord. And so they think, well, we'll just take the Lord into battle, and that guarantees our win. Well, the Lord does win the battle, just not with them. Right? And so they bring the ark into battle, and then the ark is taken to the Philistines, and it goes around all the countries of the Philistines, wiping out their gods and causing all their people you know, cancer and tumors and all this stuff. And then what's really interesting, and we could talk about this with the law, is that whenever the ark was to be moved, there was instruction on how there was to be a sacrifice accompanied with the movement of the ark. Well, um, so a little later in the story, here comes the ark over the hill, pulled by a wagon with the sacrifice. (laughs) As if the Lord said, I was over there wiping out the Philistines. Where are you people been, right? And so here we are again, right? We're right back, uh, right back to it. Uh, and so, um, um, so they're fighting the Philistines, and David rose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took his supplies, verse 20, 17, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 20, as Jesse had commanded them. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out into battle array, uh, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army, and David left his, left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. What's going on with this baggage keeper stuff? Okay, stop. You got to know, you can't just walk into the middle. Look, all you people who are always late to a movie, and then you ask everybody, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, Okay. (laughs) All of this stuff happened before, right? Uh, Remember when Saul was chosen to be king, and he's hiding over there in the baggage? uh, This is all the same stuff, right? You know, he's a... Saul's hiding in the baggage early in the story, and David's leaving his baggage in care of the baggage keeper to go out for battle. He ran into the battle line and entered uh, in uh, order to greet his brothers. And as he was talking to them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel saw, and they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely. He is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that uh, the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Uh, No taxes in Israel, that type of thing. Then David spoke with the men who were standing by him and said, what will be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the approach of Israel? And who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in accord with the word, saying, this is what will be done for the one who kills the man. Now, Eliab, the oldest, heard when he spoke to the man, and he, he gets mad at David. He says, why have you come down? Uh, and uh, with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know that uh, your insolence and your wickedness of your heart, you have come down here in order to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Uh, was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him uh, to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same as before. Then uh, when the words which David spoke were heard, he told them to Saul and he sent, him, uh, sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him, for your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to fight against the Philistine. Um, you're not able to go up against the Philistine or fight with him. You're but a youth, and he's been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, and I went after him and I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. What's going on here? Is David saying, look, I kill lions and bears? No, he's saying little boys don't kill lions and bears. That's the point, right? Um, 
You look anywhere else in the world, little boys don't kill lions and bears by grabbing them by the beard and striking them. Right? Uh, and so uh, the Lord's protection is upon me, upon us, and I will deliver us. Um, then Saul clothed David with his garments. Did you catch this? And put a bronze helmet on his head. <laughs> and clothed him with his armor and gave him a sword girded him with a sword over his armor and he tried to walk for he had not been tested he had not tested these things so David said to Saul I cannot go with these for I have not tested these and David took them off and he took his stick uh, in his hand uh, and chose for himself five smooth stones I've heard a lot of sermons about why there are five I have no idea uh, why were there five because he didn't choose six I guess I'm trying to figure out why he chose two, right? Back up. I don't know. He only needed one. Yeah, he took one. But anyway, uh, he took uh, five smooth stones. If you go to Israel, uh, you can go get a stone, and it'll probably be one of the five stones. That's what they tell everybody that comes there. They just haul them in by the dump truck, and they dump them in, and people haul them out, right? Um. In the Valley of Elah, you can go get one of these stones. Probably not the original, but who knows? Maybe yours is the original. But anyway, uh, and put them in his shepherd's bag. Goes back to the shepherd, uh, which he had in his pouch and his sling in his hand. Uh, he took his stick in his hand. His stick. His stick. Why would he have a stick? Because he's a shepherd. So what kind of stick is it? A staff. It's a shepherd's stick. And the stones, um, so the shepherd and the stones, the, 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 the shepherd, the rock of Israel. And he approached the Philistine, and he came, and he approached the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he, uh, he hated him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, and the Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, uh, you have come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. There's that head again. Now, let's go back to that uh, birds of the air will eat your flesh. Uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy 28 um, or Leviticus 26, this is repeated throughout, that if Israel's obedient, they'll be blessed in the land. But if they're disobedient, then uh, the Lord will strike them down and the birds of the air will eat their flesh. And so here's Goliath quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 28 um, that, uh, that he's going to be victorious and the birds of the air are going to eat your flesh. Now, you see this all the way through the story. You see it at the end of the story. Revelation chapter 19, the return of Christ, right? Uh, um, assemble for the great supper. The birds of the air assemble to eat the, 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 the flesh of mighty men, of commanders, and of their horses and that type of thing, right? Uh, and so this is language that's going to flow, flow throughout the whole Bible. And, and Goliath thinks he's going to win this battle. And David says, not a chance. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. That's how you kill a serpent. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth and all uh, of the earth uh, in all the earth so that you may know that there is a God in Israel. In all uh, of this assembly, you may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to David, that David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand into his bag and took a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the head, and the stone sunk deep into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground, and David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword, in David's hand. Well, why was it? Because he didn't take the sword. But ironically, um, Leviticus 26, 6 and 7 says, your enemies will fall by the sword. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword. This is good. I like this. I always say, um, uh, 
you know, Goliath, uh, Saul tries to give David his army armor and his sword, his bronze armor and his sword, as if, um, as if this bronze Nakashit is going to protect him. Um, there's a king that's going to come into this story, um, King Nakash. Same name. King Serpent's going to come onto the scene. In fact, when 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 Saul rises to be king, um, there's this battle, uh, and Israel is about to enter into a treaty with a king Nakash, King Serpent, if Israel will gouge out their right eye. Right. This is all going back to the story of uh, of the fall, uh, and this imagery is great through here. And so now, um, now Saul is saying, um, take, take the serpent's covering and go fight against the serpent. He says, I will not. Uh, well, you're going to need a sword. He's got one. I'll use his. <laughs> I like this guy. <laughs> He's a shepherd. He goes out with his stick and his stone. And he ran over and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, took the Philistine sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. And cut off his head. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and the gates of Ekron. And uh, the slain Philistines lay along the way from Sha'arim even to Gath and Ekron. And the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. And then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put it in his uh, weapons, uh, put, uh, and he put his weapons in his tent. And he saw, uh, and when Saul uh, saw that David had gone out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, uh, by your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, go inquire whose youth this is. And when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul and the Philistine's head in his hand, and Saul said to him, whose son are you? And he said, David. David answered and said, uh, your servant is uh, of Jesse of Bethlehem. Right? Now, you see how the story, you see how all the prior information is relevant, that you can't interpret story, you can't walk into a story and start reading in the middle of the story and have it make any sense to you unless you've read the scenes before. You know, does that make sense? How else would you do that, right? Um, now, what's going to happen in this story? So the very next chapter is uh, Jonathan, right? Now, uh, the story is going to present Saul as becoming the seed of the serpent. And there being enmity between Saul and David. And Jonathan chooses David. He, he forms a covenant with David, okay? Do you remember whose house Saul is from? He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And David is from the tribe of Judah. Okay, let's go back to the law. Benjamin and Judah. Benjamin and Judah. Say it loud. Yes. When? That's exactly right. Back when, uh, when uh, Joseph is sold into slavery. Um, and Joseph then calls for Benjamin to come, and and Benjamin and Judah uh, is willing to lay it on his life for Benjamin. Uh, and there is a covenant made there, and you're going to see Judah and Benjamin stay together through this whole story, right? Through the whole story. So every part of the story contributes to the rest of it, right? Um, so um, if if you're if you know how stories work, man, the Bible is really easy to to read and make sense of. If you don't know how the stories work, well, you know how stories work. You've done it your whole life. So the question is, um, why don't we read the Bible like we read the story? Well, because you're trying to stick yourself in there. You're trying to be Goliath, uh, trying to be David. Well, I got news for you. Um, it ain't going to happen, right? Um, is there any present-day Goliath? J.J. Uh, Watt. Let's say J.J. Watt. He comes in there. He walks in the door. Right. If we have enough faith, you think we can take him? I think he would clean all of our clocks all at once. Well, I really have faith. It doesn't matter. You don't have 
It's not an issue of, that's not what the story's doing, okay? Now, what was the Israelite supposed to do? The Israelite was, was who was he looking for to be his deliverer? The Lord, uh, the promised one who comes from the line of, and now it's down to David, right? And so how is Israel going to be delivered? Uh, delivered uh, through the promised seed. Faith in the promised seed, and the promised seed will deliver. Now, this is a partial, looking forward to the ultimate battle that's going to take place in the future. Right? So who's going to fight your battles for you? When? He's fighting for me right now. Which ones? What's a battle? Yeah, he's coming. Uh, see, when we make the battles today, you know what we do? We lose sight of the battle that's coming. Kings come. And all of Satan's team is going to assemble. He's going to wipe them out. Is he... Are, so, so um, see, and, and here's where I think we miss it. Um, we think that we have this assurance that because that Christ is fighting your battles now, and so he's gonna, you're going to win your battles now. Um, well, let's think about that. Um, did Saul have any battles? Or Paul, let's take Paul, Apostle Paul. Saul did too, but we can go through the whole story. How'd that go for old Paul? It was just great. He came to Jesus, and then all of a sudden he started winning all his battles. Uh, no. <laughs> it got bad. And then it went to worse. But he finds hope and endurance. Why? Because he's not looking for the king to win the battle now. But his hope is in the king to win the battle in the end. And so what do you have to fear? Right? So you're here going through your mess of stuff. And it seems like it's getting worse. Why does it seem like it's getting worse? Because it is getting worse. <laughs> I find it interesting that every generation, uh, I used to laugh at the old people. Well, in my day, you know, now I'm that person. Well, in my day, it was, you know, and then, you know, young guys are going to be you know, here in a few weeks, they're, you know, a few months. Uh, they've got, you know, my two boys are coaches. Uh, they're going to they're gonna find themselves. You're going to hear yourself saying the words that you heard from your coaches and your parents, and you're going to watch those kids roll their eyes at you just as you rolled your eyes <laughs> At the older people, because this is the way it's going. They think one day Shannon said, Think about three. Yeah, <laughs> death threats. <laughs> We used to be able to give death threats. Now it's like, I don't know, they'll haul you off or something. Um, okay, so is this making sense? Do you see how uh, the, the, not just the law, but everything that comes previous in the story is necessary to interpret this part of the story, right? And if that's true all the way back there in the Old Testament, what are the chances that's true when Jesus walks onto the scene? Right? Every parable that he tells, every story that he tells, He's getting from the Old Testament. Everything that he's doing is proof that he's the one from the Old Testament, right? And so if we don't know the first 39 books of the Bible, I'm not real excited about our ability to understand the 40th and the 41st and the 42nd and the 43rd because this story is continuing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 going that way, right? Um, so so um, let's do a new, uh, what time? How much time we got? Let's do a New Testament story. Um, uh, what uh, go to? Let, this is a good one. Um, we, we may have done this before in here, but it's it's always worthy of repeating. Turn to Luke. Uh, and I want to kind of walk you through some a part of Luke, uh, and then get to Luke uh, 15, right? Um, 
And let me show you. So let's go down here. Let's see here. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just seeing what I've got here on this list. Um, okay, so turn over to... Uh, okay, so, so uh, these... We're in, a, we're, we're in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is telling a story, okay? And every part of the story that he's telling relates to the previous part of the story that he has told. And everything, every part of the story he's telling relates to the story more broadly. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so let's pick it up in, uh, in Luke uh, chapter, I don't know. Um, look at Luke chapter 5. Let me show you uh, Luke chapter 5. Um, now, stories, so, so we're kind of trying to pull off a lot of things together, right? Um, so stories uh, revolve around characters, okay? Uh, and so in the Gospel of Luke, you have different groups of characters. You've got Jesus, of course, uh, and then you've got the Pharisees. Uh, they're the bad guys, the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, and then you've got uh, the disciples, it's the third group. And then the fourth group are the tax gatherers and sinners, okay? Uh, the blind people, the lame people, the deaf people, the, you know, all of the ones that, uh, that the Pharisees think are being judged by God because of their sin, right? And so the Pharisees cannot understand how Jesus would be hanging out with tax gatherers and sinners. And so uh, this, let's pick it up in verse uh, 20. I guess we can... Uh, Jesus heals the paralytic, verse, uh, chapter uh, 5, verses 16 through 26. And after that, after he healed the paralytic, he went out and he noticed a tax gatherer named Levi, right? So he's healed the sinner. Now he's a uh, tax gatherer uh, sitting in his tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and rose and followed him. And the, Levi had a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax gatherers and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble at his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do y'all eat and drink with tax gatherers and sinners? Right? All the way through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is eating with sinners. Uh, he says, um, verse 31, And Jesus answered and said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but center, sinners to repentance. Okay, now, um, who are those who view themselves as righteous? The Pharisees, right? Um, and who, you see, the irony in this book is those who are righteous are the ones who recognize they're sinners, and the ones who are sinners think they're righteous, right? And so he says, I've come uh, to, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, right? Uh, and so Jesus continues. Now, what you start to see is Jesus is eating with sinners all the time, but it's the Pharisees he's eating with, <laughs> right? In chapter uh, 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees had re requested with him to dine with him, and he entered into the Pharisee's house. There he is eating with sinners, and there in their midst is a woman, a sinner. And the Pharisees begin to, you know, she begins to, you know, anoint him, and there's this whole discussion about she was a sinner. They don't recognize they're sinners, but they know that she's a sinner, right? She recognizes she's a sinner. The Pharisees don't recognize they're sinners. Uh, continues uh, into chapter uh, 9, um, chapter, uh, chapter 10, uh, he's eating with sinners. Chapter 11, he's eating with sinners. Chapter 12, uh, you know, 11, 37, he's eating with sinners. Chapter 12, 13, 14, look at chapter 14. It came about when he went into one of the house of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread. They were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a certain man suffering from dropsy. Okay, dropsy, dropsy, dropsy. Uh, slack hands. Um, um, why would these people be suffering from blindness and deafness and lameness and slack hands and fever? Because all of these were the judgments uh, that were pronounced on Israel out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
um, they're the judgments that, uh, that Isaiah pronounces from the law, right? Um, so Israel is going to be kicked out of the land. If they, if they reject the Lord, which they do, they're going to be expelled from the land, and they're going to let, be left in a foreign land, blind, so that they cannot see. See what? See what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. The judges do what's good and right in their own eyes. The kings do what's good and right in their own eyes. Everyone is, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. So they're calling what's good evil and what's evil good. This is the book of uh, Isaiah. It's what's going on in our culture today. This is no different, right? Uh, and so they're, they're, they're expelled from the land. They're, le they're left blind so that they cannot see what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Deaf so that they cannot hear the word of the Lord. Lame so that they cannot return to the land. And there they're going to die, right? And so in the, fair, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus comes and starts to preach to them in parables. This is chapter 13 of, of, of uh, Luke and 8, or 8 of Luke, 13 of, of, of uh, Matthew, chapter 4 of Mark. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and repent with their hearts and return and I heal them. Do you remember John the Baptist comes to Jesus? He sends his disciples to Jesus. He says, um, um, are you the coming one or should we expect enough? You've had enough? You said, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. It's mass exodus. Uh, so, so, so John the Baptist sends, uh, sends this, uh, the messenger. Are you the coming one or should we expect another? And Jesus answered and says, tell them what you've seen. That what? The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is all the promise of the Old Testament. It was the judgments on Israel for disobedience, the, the judgments pronounced on Israel by the prophets, and now this promised Messiah is going to be the one who's going to come and heal the blind and the lame and the dead. Not just physically blind, uh, but uh, but spiritually blind as well. Does that make sense? Come back to the of of Luke. Yep. 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 And he says began his ministry and he thought to be. Why does it say he was the son of so many of these people? Um. So so the genealogy here. Um. So John uh John Luke is presenting Jesus as the son of God. That genealogy is going to go back to son of Adam, son of God. Well, he's basically just saying, well, he's the son of all of them. Yeah, but he's, he's, the, he's the, the genealogy, the promised genealogy is coming right down to Jesus, right? Through Nathan, but that's a broader discussion. He's talking about his father on earth, who's the son of Joseph. No, the genealogy of, so, so you got two genealogies. So this is a side note. You've got two genealogies in the Gospels. One is in chapter 1 of Matthew. Uh, and that genealogy goes uh, from David through Solomon down to Joseph. Okay. Uh, the genealogy in chapter 3 of Matthew, of Luke, not Matthew, chapter 3 of, of Luke uh, goes through David. But now not Solomon, but through Nathan down probably to Mary. This is Mary's genealogy, yeah. But anyway, so what's going on is that the fever, uh, that remember Jesus heals Peter's mother, uh, mother the fever, the dropsy, the blindness, the lame, all of it is being healed because Christ is the one who can heal. All of those things were pronounced on Israel from the Old Testament out of Deuteronomy 28, right? Uh, and, um, and so all the groups are there, Jesus, the sinners and tax gatherers, you know, the sinners there, the Pharisees are there. The disciples are there. And, um, and Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him, away, sent him away. And he said, which one of you, if you had a son or an ox fall into a well, on the, uh, would not immediately uh, deliver it on the Sabbath day? Um, most of our oldest manuscripts, uh, in, uh, he, uh, Greek manuscripts, read a donkey or an ox fall into a well. Now that comes right out of the law. If an ox 
falls into a well, you will surely rescue it. Doesn't matter if it's a Sabbath or what, right? Because you care about the ox. You can, if you see your neighbor's ox or donkey, and you, you save it because you care about it. See, so they'll keep the law. They care about the law, but they don't care about this sinner who repents. Does that make sense? Right, and so chapter 15, here he is eating with sinners again. Uh, now, uh, and all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble still, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable, saying, okay. Now, you've heard these three parables, um, but I want you to notice, um, if you have a red letter edition, it's helpful to see, right? There's nothing but red letters. From 15.4 all the way down, really, into chapter 17. Except for a few, and he said, and he said. We have to end early for the meeting? And he said, well, we'll, we'll end early. So, so um, uh, what time is it? Let's see here. Yeah, so, so um, and he said, and he said, and he said. Okay, so here's the point. So you have three um, stories in succession, okay? Um, and I want you to read, read it, okay? The Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, who's he, told them this parable, saying, what man among you all? Who's the you all? The Pharisees. If he had a hundred sheep and lost one, wouldn't leave the 99, go get the one and throw a party. Why? Because they care about sheep. They don't care about sinners who repent. They care about sheep. And so Jesus says, in the same way, this is verse seven. I tell you, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Or if a woman lost a coin, she'd sweep it. And, and when she found the coin, she'd throw a party. Why? Because she values the coin. They value money. They value uh, their animals. They don't value sinners who repent. Now, there was a certain man who had two sons, and one was a sinner. And he goes off and he sins. And this is this, this whole story, the, the parable of the lost son in chapter 15, the third story of the three, is straight out of the Old Testament. Sinner regards his father as dead, is kicked out of the land, attached to Gentiles where he suffers hunger and thirst and nakedness and lack of things. All of the judgments of Deuteronomy 28, hanging out with pigs, eating the pigs, and he repents and he returns. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And his father has compassion upon him. Sinners repent. Right? Jesus, Pharisees, Sinners who repent and come to Jesus, and Jesus restores them. But the Pharisees don't like that Jesus hangs out with tax and sinners. A man had two sons. One was a sinner, and he sinned, and he repented. And the older son has a problem that the father receives the sinners. This son of yours, who squandered your wealth, you never gave me a kid so that I could eat with my friends. See, because... The father throws a party when what he values returns. Just as the Pharisees do. But they don't value the same things. Pharisees throw parties when their sheep returns, when their money returns, but not when sinners return. The father throws the party when sinners return. Is not the father waiting for Israel to return in this story? Yes. Is this not why Jesus is telling the story? Yes. Right? Do you have to know the book of Deuteronomy to know the story? Yes. Did the Pharisees know Deuteronomy? Yes. And then he goes right into the next story, and the next story, and the next story. Now, the Pharisees who were lovers of money were scoffing at these things. <laughs> you see what's going on? Right? Uh, and so, if we will use, learn the law, and then you'll recognize that all the way through the story, all of a sudden the story makes sense. Right? Rather than just reading each story with your theology, um, it's probably not the way to go. Does that, does that make sense? Good. Just on a hit on your bookshelf. It's something that's a narrative. The Bible is narrative. Or, I've got a. I've got several of them. There's several. Um, there's several. 
Um, yeah, I'll get with you. There's several folks who are writing in this area. Yeah. 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 You can get it. Okay. So here's what we need to do. So we're done. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Uh, and but we need to set up tables. Does anybody know where tables are? And okay. So we're going to set up. Um, Alan said six tables with six seats. I didn't like that because that sounded like six, six, six. So let's set up seven tables with six seats. How about that? Is that <laughs> we don't want to be setting up Satan tables. You know, just stay away from the number. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for our time today. And uh, Lord, for this story uh, that you've revealed yourself through. And, and so, uh, Lord, pray that we would uh, become students of it. We would learn the story, know the story, so that we know where we are in it and how it applies to us. So, Lord, be with us as we continue to study and read. And thank you for our time together in Christ's name. Amen.